So, uh, good morning. <laughs> I've been asked to speak on any subject. Now, that makes it easier and that makes it very difficult. Especially when we turn to Sri and the mother, because um, the truth that they bring is an integral truth, meaning thereby that every possible subject that one can conceive of is part of Shubhinda's teaching. And one of the uh, beautiful observations, the mother says, who can understand Shubhinda? He is as vast as the universe and his teaching is infinite. <coughs> and it's so true. When we turn to Shubhinda, we discover that even the smallest of things, he speaks about from the greatest of height and the widest of arc of vision to the most uh, largest things that we can conceive of like cycles of time, the yugas, how they go through, how there are cycles where civilizations come and go and vanish without leaving a trace. So he speaks about that, he speaks about um, the, the construction of the atom if you like and uh, what is behind the atom. And he speaks about, most importantly, the relevance of our own life. And that, I feel, is the most important subject. When I use the word relevance, uh, what I mean is that, what are we doing here? Why are we here? I think it's a first fundamental question that at least I feel important to answer. At least that's how my quest started. What am I doing here, you know, from the medical school? Um, if all is dust, as my medicine teaches me, then uh, the wisest people were those who were uh, rushing to the nearest uh, pot joint. You know, what it means, they used to be ganja available and you know they were brilliant people. And uh, I thought, yes, they are brilliant because if, if everything is dust, then nothing makes sense. It, if ultimately that's where we got to go and that's the end of the journey, there's a brilliant uh, Persian poet, Amir Khusru. So he speaks of it in this way that dust unto dust, un under the dust we lie, sans song, sans wine, sans singer, sans end. And if there is something, I don't know it, and I go away, then it's a big loss because that something was the most important thing. So. It's the most logical thing to search for that which we have heard about from those who have gone beyond the sphere of death and, and know it. Know it not just this knowledge which we you know, are going to share, what Shurinda brings is not just an intellectual knowledge. It's intellectual knowledge is like a belief system. And it's all right, belief systems help us. Like there are a lot of people who talk about... Uh, Soul exists. Alright. So it doesn't become real and living until we begin to, we undertake the journey. You know, we may have a good mobile, but if it doesn't have a SIM card, doesn't have a connection, then it's only a showpiece. It's okay, so much money is there, so you have thrown and got a mobile, but it doesn't have a connection. So all these things should become not just a part of our mind and belief, 
but a way of life and a way of by that i mean not that okay this is my belief that there is a soul therefore do not harm anyone that's a way of life but even that is not sufficient but it must become a journey a search because if there is something so precious and i do not know it then it's my loss so the knowledge that he brings is of that nature it's a revelatory knowledge but at the same time it's not just a revelation which we have to believe in it's a revelation towards which we can move and have our own revelation so it should be an initiation into something where we undertake a path it's a path which he shows through which we can arrive at the same knowledge in our own way <clears throat> when we use the word arrive at the same knowledge it's not something fixed it discloses itself in a different way in a new way to each one so very often we you know when we talk about soul and what happens after death which i thought could be a good subject um it's not that every case will be exactly the same thing each of us would experience the revelation in our own way and that's the beauty of it that's the uniqueness of it that's the vastness of this journey so nevertheless coming back to the subject we had three options one was that we just have question answers so that we can cover a wide range of issues anything from anything as i said shobindu is vast or we are in this period of 7th 8th 9th and when mother was asked about uh, how should we spend the, these days some of us may be aware that on 5th december shobindu withdrew from the physical life as we know it and for 3 days in fact for 111 hours 5 days 5th to 9th his body was a glow with with a golden light which slowly began to withdraw and hence on 9th december he was interned in the samadhi and thousands and thousands of people went around uh, as a last darshan there was no uh, air conditioning or anything to keep the body intact but there were no signs of death apart from the fact that there was no heartbeat no pulse no breathing and the body was suffused with the light so when mother was asked how should we spend this period from 6th to 9th 5th to 9th she said in contemplating on what death is in fact the there was another question that how should we spend our birthdays and she said on knowing the purpose of life and the two are very intimately connected because to understand death is also to understand the purpose of a life as i said if there is nothing beyond the grave and the pyre then actually it's quite a meaningless existence that we are living here leading here and if there is something then to discover it becomes a first logical necessity so one option is we can talk about the mystery of death and rebirth um the other option is um, so first was question answer second is that we can speak about death and rebirth the third is my favorite we read some beautiful passages from savitri and uh, maybe connected to death and rebirth or any other subject which you would like so let's uh, start somewhere any 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 how how should we proceed should we have questions or i just birth kind of so is a good yes that is a good idea even i thought so <clears throat> birth and death actually we often believe that uh, death is the uh, mystery you know there is a greater mystery and it is birth mm-hmm. so i'm 
glad you spoke about birth and death. Birth is a mystery. Uh, we think about birth in terms of just a body coming out and just as we think of death as the body going back to dust. Uh, but birth is a mystery in the sense if we take the other view that there is an infinite existence. So what makes it um, limited? Original sense of birth in the Upanishads is to be limited by a form and name. That's the whole sense of birth and that's why we have a great conception, uh, not a conception but but the power that creates this self-limitation and that is called Maya. So very often when we talk about Maya we think something that cheats us and deludes us but Maya is a power of the divine which limits the infinite. It comes from the root Ma, Ma is Mata, Matra. You know even now in olden times in India when and even now in Tamil we have many Sanskrit words. So when you use the word matra, matra is measure. So it measures out that which cannot be measured out. It is infinite. But it measures out. So there is one existence but it measures itself out in this existence. That existence multiplies itself. It's a great mystery because there are different answers to it. In the Upanishads it is ekoam bhayushyami. The one wanted to become many. So if you take the Buddhist view of why creation is came into existence, it's desire. And it raises a question that, you know, what was there in the infinite that made it desire this creation, where we are caught and trapped. We don't know which way to go. But Shurabindo's conception is similar to the Upanishad, that is delight. It's delight that wanted to multiply itself manifold. And that's why regardless of all the difficulties and challenges of life, we still experience a joy, a joy in living, a joy in misery, a joy in pain, a joy in struggle, a joy in victory, even a joy in failure and fall. There is something in human consciousness that refuses to give up. Even the most, you know, it's, it's an extreme step that people sometimes take, but even then they believe that there would be a better state probably after I quit this life. So there is a joy or a delight of existence which is multiplying itself many, many, many times over. And it was necessary for this delight. If the delight of oneness has to become delight of many, manifold oneness. So it must multiply itself. And that's when birth came into being. For it is through birth and self-limitation that the one multiplies himself. Now it, it leads to one beautiful conclusion. That conclusion is that we are not here condemned by some power to <coughs> undergo pain and struggle. It's not a fall in that sense. We are here because we have to, because of the original impulsion of delight. And if delight is the origin of creation, then to arrive at delight to discover delight in many ways becomes also its most logical goal because that's the original impulsion which means that um, a lot of when we talk about spirituality it's all about you know we often hear about suffering and pain uh, that's not the path the path is to grow in a greater towards a greater and greater delight and how to go grow towards a greater and greater delight there is a very beautiful first sloka of the Isha Upanishad which gives us a clue. 
एंड इट स्टार्ट्स विद ईशावास्यम इदम सर्वम यत किंच जगत्याम जगत तेन त्यक्तेन भुंजिता माग्रिदा कस्सुसिद्धनम बाय रिनाउंसिंग दाउड्स एंजॉय ऑल सो व्हेन वी टॉक अबाउट रिनंसिएशन इन स्पिरिचुअल लाइफ इट्स नॉट फॉर imposing pain but it's because we are preparing for something still greater still greater so all renunciation for is a greater delight of being now pleasure is a let's put it like this in a whole hierarchy of being uh, pleasure is um, a very degraded version and when you renounce pleasure then you experience joy when you renounce joy you experience you know it goes on till ultimately one is ready for delight when we renounce smallness we enter into vastness so this is the journey from the small and the narrow uh, and the experience of pleasure pain and indifference towards the vast towards the delight the original delight of being so this becomes the way of life so this is the reason for birth and all death is can only be an incident or a means used by nature to spur us towards that you see what happens when death comes into being and we become conscious that there is death so human beings uh, imagine a scenario where there was no death so what will our life be like tragic tragic <laughs> we will there is a very nice little story about it that there is a man who is growing old and one day he receives a <clears throat> message from messers death and company that uh, professor so and so you have become immortal so you know he is very happy he announces it and uh, well everybody is happy and all the tv cameras and crew and they come and interview him he is very happy he is having lot of food party he has become the first immortal creature on on the planet and so uh, at night after all the party he has a little bit of trouble so he wakes up his wife that you know what i am having some stomach pain and the first thing he hears is you don't have to worry you just stay quiet don't disturb me at night because you are not going to die anyways and so he calls up his doctor and the doctor says oh yeah i saw your interview on the television you you are a great guy you are not going to die so relax take it easy so i'm suffering okay you take digestion <laughs> nothing is going to happen to you so from that state to you know when if we do not die in this state of consciousness then life will be miserable but that does not mean that we must die it means that conquest over death must go hand in hand with the change of consciousness it must get back to the original delight that is the great mystery because if our present state of consciousness ignorant state of consciousness we do not die then it would mean that we would be immortalizing our ignorance if we do not understand the first fundamental necessity is a change of consciousness and then the conquest over death so this is the logical extension but meanwhile because there is death many things have come up in human life precisely because there is a challenge of death for example all talk about heroism sacrifice courage very often people ask that why there is war the wars have been schools of courage if you see the greatest sacrifices have been during the times of war right from ancient times till today abhimanyu has died but it's equally true that abhimanyu lives abhimanyu has become a symbol of you know extreme courage he immortalized himself if abhimanyu wouldn't have died 
probably he would have been just the son of arjuna a great fathers maybe a great son that's it but now he has become the benchmark for courage and heroism simply he is immortalized simply because he faced the challenge of death and died so death is like a spur then also we have uh, you know how death acts so why it is there is not just some dark power has created death to harass us but also because because of death presence of death we want to immortalize our work so it's most um, out of form is that you know we want to save for our children it's a bad idea by the way you know if there is a very nice little line in uh, couplet in one of the mystic poets he says put kaput to ko dhan sanche i'll translate it you know and put saput to ko dhan sanche says that if the boy is not good <laughs> children are not good then why are you you know saving money they are going to misuse it it says if the boy is good if the if the ch- child is good then why you want to save money i'm sure they will you know find ways and means make them equip them empower them and leave the rest because when they are empowered they will find their way figure out that's the challenge of education so anyways but we want to that's the that's a natural instinct that you know our children will be more comfortable Uh, precisely because we know that one day we are going to die the second is some people who are very creative they like to immortalize their work so we have that people have passed on shakespeare homer our vyasa valmiki and their work continues to live and not only live it's a power it's an influence even now i mean i i, I remember my childhood days and even now when i think about ramayana and the kind of service that you know hanuman did so inspiring it touches the depth of your heart so valmiki is gone but valmiki lives on vyasa is gone but vyasa lives on so there is a natural urge to exceed to excel it's a spur to help us go beyond the limits because we know that we have a very short span of life and within there is there is the instinct of immortality within it so but natural that we are driven to excel to go beyond so it's like a spur another challenge that death imposes which is um, uh, a very cryptic challenge is to understand uh, life matter the purpose of my existence if people are told that you are going to live for 10000 years you know even now as of now we have this tendency oh spiritual things those things we'll do it later on post retirement mm-hmm. so post retirement there is one only one place to apply that is the best graveyard in the world possibly you know that well <laughs> the time will come when the time comes we probably won't be in a state we we won't have the energy that's why when people say that spirituality is for old age they do not know that how much energy is required in this endeavor it requires a much greater tremendous energy than in any other endeavor of life i can tell you this from whatever you know it's it's there in the books but from very personal experience having gone through medical schooling where you need a lot of energy and need lot of study and you know it's it's a hard work you have to put in but when you take to this life spiritual life a time comes when you feel that every word that you are speaking uselessly is a waste you need to conserve that energy as you need tremendous energy to go within to discover the soul all these are very beautiful terms and they are wonderful experiences 
But the magic circle of nature doesn't allow us to break through. It's like, uh, you know, we, we just heard that wonderful passage, Mother's words uh, from Savitri, where she says, the last rock, cutting through the last rock, it's a rock-like resistance. So that's why meditation, when people speak about meditation as a technique, technique never has that um, fire in it to break the wall. Technique is good for a feel-good experience that every day I am following a method and I am sitting and, uh, you know, technique is like I have paid my debt to God, now it's God's turn, so I have done my bit. But spirituality is like a fire and this fire has to grow, this energy has to grow and become more and more intense, more and more intense. And a time comes when this same concentrated energy, which is right now, you know, all around spread into life, gets so intense like a laser, it cuts through the rock. It's a rock-like resistance. That's what Maya is about. It covers truth. And it covers why? Because there is a, this is the other part of mystery of death in darkness and ignorance. Because we are not ready for that light. So just like a seed has to first go in the soil where it's nurtured in darkness. So our journey is in two stages. One is when through quite a few lives we go grow through a dark phase. When we are really ignorant about the true purpose of our life, about who we are, even our identities. You know that famous story about Sphinx. So Sphinx is, one of the symbols of Sphinx is death. So Sphinx asks that, well... Tell me about a creature which walks on four in the morning and two in the afternoon and three at night in the evening. And uh, those who cannot answer, Sphinx divorces them. Sphinx is a strange creature. Uh, face of a woman and, you know, body of a lion and it has wings. So it doesn't exist. It's like, you know, all kinds of things together. Except that it's a mystery. So it divorces and the great... Oedipus says that I am the answer. I am the creature who as a child walks on four. In my midlife I walk on twos and when I am old I walk with a stick on threes. I need some help, some somebody. So through all this changing there is a changeless reality within. But it doesn't, it's covered in a veil of darkness which is what is called as ignorance in Indian thought. And because of this darkness, we all feel that I am this, this limited being. And this thought is inbuilt right from childhood and this ignorance is reinforced and strengthened right from our birth. The first ignorance is, this is my surname. It starts from there. This is my surname. And as we grow up, this is my religion. By religion is meant my custom and culture and so on and so forth. And any spirit of true inquiry and seeking. You know, when we have too many answers, there is a problem. So, like in India, we have two kinds of strange situations. One is that we have too many answers. All the answers available in the world. And for everything, we accept an answer. So, you know, for example, the famous notion of rebirth. So I had this issue that what is this rebirth that people die and after many lives you are given a punishment. Is that not what we have normally been told? 
and isn't it strange imagine a god who is and at the same time you speak about daya mein karuna mein kripa mein god is all grace all blissful all compassionate what kind of compassion you have done something five lives back and suddenly you are punished punishment can be there in the dispensation of justice but logic demand that you should be told why you are being punished <laughs> isn't it and uh, as they say justice delayed is justice denied it should be instantaneous in the providence of things you do a wrong thing next day now what is the point of five lives isn't it but we don't raise this question because it's there it's somebody has told us and we believe it we don't even bother who has told where how it has come down the line which scripture has mentioned it the gita speaks of very different uh, when it speaks of rebirth and karma so when we have too many answers it sometimes can uh, kill the seeking so it's very important to keep the seeking alive books are meant to help us seek the answers in our own way so same with sri aurobindo's book there is a tendency sometimes to build a system around it and that's not a very healthy thing give me a technique and now i have all the answers no these answers must become real and living within me otherwise they will be another you know belief system this there will be very subtle difference but it's very important to understand this so when we read a book like savitri it's to inspire and awaken in us something the urge to seek and find so anyways so this journey is in two layers one is in the womb of darkness like a baby is in the womb where it doesn't know who its mother is who he is it has no identity and when it is born then it is a journey in the light same way there is a long journey in darkness of ignorance where we do not know who i am whether there is something called as the divine even though the divine is nourishing us through all the things um that we eat you know is it true the divine is nourishing us or you know is it <coughs> there in the gita but um, i had asked once this this to a group of children and they came up with a very fantastic answer so i said what did you eat today he said idli i said idli okay but idli is made up of what he said rice so rice uh, where did you get rice from so from the market where did the rice come into the market from the fields so how did rice grow into the field so you come come to a logical conclusion that in every grain of rice there is the power of the sun power of the earth power of the wind power of water the toil of the farmer nature's whole capacity to make a you know out of a grain of rice a whole bunch out of it so you have in a grain of rice all these things which are there together and if you go behind all these various powers you discover that there is the one power out of which all these are different forms and manifestation so this idea of praying before eating is basically to reconnect this fact that everything that i am taking comes from the one and goes to the one but this we do not know ordinarily so we are in a state of ignorance we don't know who we are and where we have come from where we are going questions which can change our lives completely you know that famous story of uh, t.s eliot when he knocked at somebody's door because it was raining and the person opened the door the farmer and asked him who are you where are you coming from where are you going and he gave his name told which place he is coming from where he is going and those were the days when people could be entertained and said okay spend the night 
So whole night he kept thinking, is it really true? Where am I coming from? Where am I going? Who am I? And by morning he was a changed human being because he gave the answers to the, he thought about these questions. They are simple questions. Is my identity, if I, if I believe for a long time, that's what we believe, that I am the body. I am just this. I am, you know, this is one of the paths of Jnana Yoga. In Jnana Yoga, we are made to contemplate upon this aspect that who am I? And when we contemplate on this who am I, am I just this cellular animal cules growing and going away? If we contemplate on this, then we will ourselves discover that it cannot just be the cells, but there is something called as energy which feeds the cells. This is, it doesn't need any deep contemplation to discover. Then there are different kinds of energies which feed the cell. We can enter into a whole world of understanding. This is the energy which we draw from food. That's the most basic energy. And there you have different types of food. So we don't even realize that it's not just a mechanical growth of the cell, but the energy, the food that if you know, if, if someone asks that which is the best food in the world, my spontaneous answer will be my mom's food. I think that will be the answer of almost everyone. Isn't it? So, <laughs> regardless of the recipe, there is something in the food which is not found elsewhere. You know that, So food is not just food material. It's also a form of energy in which there is love and many intangible things which are added to it. It's a consciousness which is behind this energy which has gone and which helps us in nourishing. So we have behind energy consciousness which is put, you know, behind the energy there is this consciousness. So when we look at life that way, we, we can well discover that we are not just uh, a body but a state of energy or rather a play of energy and we are not just a play of energy but states of consciousness. <coughs> That's how spirituality proceeds that you know we have to catch that is the fundamental thing. If you see a day from morning till night, we'll see that you know uh, often people use the word mood uh, I'm you know don't don't talk to me right now i'm I'm not in a good mood. What really is this mood? One is the feelings which come and go. If you go behind the feeling, we discover there are states of consciousness. There are states of consciousness when everything is beautiful. In that state of consciousness, whatever happens, we feel peace within. And there is a state of consciousness when a small little pinprick, not even pinprick, the idea of a pinprick is enough to disturb us. Nothing has happened. Now, that's how yoga proceeds. Yoga goes back to that fundamental that recover that original state of consciousness so that we are able to the energies which are moving us depending on the state of consciousness we have corresponding energies which come to us even if everything is fine outwardly still if the state of consciousness is not right those energies will find their way and they will affect our body so it's a whole science it's not just a simple answer you know seeking to the question who am I when we contemplate on this question we discover that there are states of consciousness within us which are unclaimed we have not even been aware a simple exercise you know and with which we can come to what the mystery of death itself <coughs> we don't know what happens after death isn't it? I mean I'm talking of experientially 
So there was a time and there is a long time when we say that, you know, I don't remember my dreams. How many remember their dreams? Anyone remembers the dreams? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> but you know, we all dream every day. Yeah. Yes. We all dream, but we don't remember our dreams. Why we don't remember our dreams? It's because there is a zone of unconsciousness in which we are not yet conscious. It's like if I enter in blind alley where it's so densely blind, it's dark and blinding darkness, let me use that word. Then what do I do? I try to grope and try to feel what is there. I can't figure out. It's paralyzing. I can't even probably step. It's <coughs> frightening because I don't know what's going to be there. But if you have gone into a place time and again, and one day there is no light out there and you go in, you by and large have a picture. So you know that no, not to worry. What is hidden here, I by and large know. But just as this blinding darkness in which we do not know and that brings fear into us, the dream world about which we have no clue, we can extend consciousness into it. It's one of the first things that happens spontaneously when we undertake to yoga. We begin to become aware in domains where we are ordinarily not aware. So people often begin to remember their dreams. And then they can actually trace the whole journey from night when they went off to sleep till the morning. And then they can understand a whole lot of things which they didn't understand about their own life. Because dream world is a, imagine, um, 8 hours, 7 hours, 6 hours, a wealth of information. And an information of which ordinarily we are not aware. Psychologist, I mean, as a psychiatrist, it's a very rich material to me. If somebody can recount the dream, I get almost a clue as to what's happening in the life. Because consciously the person will not speak about it. And it's not just dark, beautiful information about the person's own life. It can guide us as to what's going to happen next. I have seen people get premonitions in dreams of very strange kind. I mean, one was a very traumatic one where a lady actually saw four children, four corpses floating on water. And after two days, this actually took place. Only those four corpses were her own four children. Strange way they met together from different places. And they were playing a water sport and they died. Now imagine you know, this information which she had could be prevented. It raises questions. And if you ask from a spiritual perspective, it can be prevented. Only we are not conscious. So the problem is not death. Death is simply a state of unconsciousness through which we pass. Existence passes through a state of utter unconsciousness. But it is possible to become conscious. And if you become conscious, then it helps us because we get information. What is hiding out there? How to navigate through it? And quite naturally, life is the field where we have to practice this, becoming more and more aware. One of the elementary practices in yoga is to become conscious of what is the origin of all that we speak and do, what is behind it. And then we discover a whole world of falsehood which supports, you know, we almost become so habituated to it that we begin to believe it. Isn't it? Everybody whom we say, oh, you are wonderful. Does it mean we really mean it? Isn't it? 
and sometimes we very often in so called anger say oh i don't like you does it mean that you don't like isn't it so it's a falsehood in which we begin to live and we begin to believe it so we have unconsciousness we have falsehood and we have the darkness which frightens us fear and therefore we are not able to know the mystery because we have not practiced and then what we do is we begin to shrink more and more the what we should do instead is just the opposite movement to widen to embrace existence but we start shrinking yoga is not about shrinking yoga is about widening at every level then we begin to become conscious and when we become conscious of a dream world what happens in a dream <coughs> do we exist or we don't exist it's strange no we exist of course only it's a different kind of existence different mode of existence we act in dream in the dream world but in a different way the time space continuum is very different sometimes it looks like a long time has passed when actually you had just slept and woken up maybe after 10 15 minutes and you saw a whole life story how is it possible so basically what happens after death is we enter into another mode of existence and since we have not practiced remaining consciousness in other kinds of existence than this gross outer existence therefore we are not aware and we are carried helplessly we can't navigate through that because we just don't know and then we also have our belief system we create heavens and hell are there heaven and hell no. should we have heaven and hell or should we do away with them <laughs> good that's a good answer <laughs> i personally wish to do away with heaven and hell these conceptions have um, do we think heaven and hell have helped mankind or harmed mankind helps do people really really don't do something you know knowing that they are going to go to hell i don't know most people still do they are helplessly bound you see why and there is a reason behind it the original impulsion of existence is delight a person regardless of hell if he gets joy in something will do it he will say oh baad mein dekhenge it's so strange you know the impulsion of joy is so strange it's so you know ensnaring and powerful that human beings can't use you see the conception of heaven and hell in all the religions isn't it strongly look at the history look at the inquisitions look at the jihads look at you know massacres and you see that i mean even we may say that maybe at one point they were necessary let's put it like that when humanity is very in a early stage of evolution it needs some kind of reward and punishment but maybe time has come to go beyond reward and punishment for all of us would god be love or would god be a stern judge keeping account with mr chandra what is his name chitragupta uh, by the way who is this guy any idea it's very interesting his name is chitragupta he's taking pictures of everything exactly it's very interesting but gupt it's a subconscious recording of all the events look at the name it gives us which is a fact our subconscious records all the impressions that are happening so he chitra gupta we don't have to make him sit out there on a supercomputer and typing out every damn mistake 
And what this subconscious do? Because it's documented in the very cells. It's like an information which is not lost. It binds us by habit. Whatever we do once is an impression. We do twice is a reinforcement. You do thrice is learning. You do four times a habit. So you see how it binds? So Chitragupta record binds us. Binds us to heaven or hell. Both are a snare. You see, it's very interesting the, if we look at it from a, another perspective. But we have to go beyond. And we can go beyond to start within conception. The, the God who is just sitting and judging us. But there is another conception that God is engaged in something else. Much more beautiful, much more meaningful. If we are portions of himself, what he would be really busy doing? What is the father busy doing with children or a mother? Mothers are more correct terms. Okay, parents. What is their business? I often say this, you know, it's the job description of a parent. What are parents doing actually? Loving the children. Loving. And by love, what are they really wanting to see? There is a love which can completely spoil the child. Spoil the child. But there is another love which really helps the child. What is what is that through love they are bring up in to become really the best possible in the world, isn't it? Now sometimes the child may ignorantly think that the child is being punished. Isn't it? When mama says no no, give the remote to me. Or when says no no, not so much on the smartphone, it may look like you know, dad didn't understand, you know, what's happening. But dad understands and dad loves. Isn't it? Sometimes when mothers say you better go to school and the baby is crying. Experience these uh, situations. What do mothers do? They force you to send to the school. And when your baby is crying and going to the school, who is suffering more? Mother, that's it. So where is reward and punishment in it? It's a single movement of love. What is its purpose? The child should grow and become better than me. You know, it's say, said that who is the person um, from whom you want to be defeated? It's your child. You know, it gives a great joy when you're defeated from your child. That's why is the story of Bhishma. Bhishma says that, okay, Arjun, I have nurtured in my heart this wish that one day you should beat me. It's a great joy in that. Come. And he creates an occasion for that. Because you love that, that state. You feel has gone beyond. Now this fact of our everyday existence is in a certain sense symbolic of the fact of creation. If there was some, if there was not this possibility in creation which would make it go beyond the divine himself. It's, it's a paradoxical term. So I'll come to qualify it. It would not have happened. What is the point of back, going back to him and becoming the same? Which means nirvana or whatever. Ki, okay, you, you win. You go back to the source and become same as him. So the whole drama was meaningless. At the end of the day. There is something in the drama. Through the drama which is taking place. Which would not take place. Without creation. What won't take place without creation? Not just the bliss of multiplicity, the joy of union 
which won't take place when there is only oneness, but the greatest power which we ever experience in creation is the power of love. Love by its nature means otherness and then that otherness comes back. And then with all the experience that we gain through lives, it's a growth. You know, the divine in, in his original beatitude and the divine as he grows through the divinity, as it grows through the experience of contact with the otherness of earth and the challenge and the forces where all these possibilities emerge out of the seed of divinity within us. It's something wonderful. And every experience of life basically is to help us grow in that direction. That's the only business divine is engaged in. Sometimes it looks like he is being very, he's punishing us. Snatches away some toy, I was so fond of it. But he's wanting us to fly the real plane and not just play with the toy plane. So you see what, what uh, the, how the perspective changes. So when we are in an infant's consciousness or a child consciousness, he is uh, punishing us and he is rewarding us. Like, you know, children say, small little children, Mama, you are too bad. Isn't it? Sometimes children say that. Gandhi, Mommy. When children, then what does Mama say? You will understand when you become a mom when you grow up. A standard dialogue. She doesn't change her ways. She doesn't say, okay, fine, you have called me bad mom, therefore I will, for tomorrow I will give you all your favorite chocolates. She doesn't do that, my dear. She says, you will know when you grow up. That's exactly what happens in our life. Sometimes when we go through a tough period and we say, you are a bad guy out there. He says, okay, it doesn't matter. You may call me a bad guy. I'll take it. But you will understand when you grow up. And when we grow up, we discover there is no reward, no punishment. It was nothing else but love. That is the great secret we are here to learn and to express.